On the Mic Podcast. This is your host, Tim Drake. Today's episode, we're coming to you from San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, yeah, I'm whispering the intro today because it's only 6 in the morning and I'm in the bathroom of my hotel room. Yeah, it, uh, it, it, it's early and I don't want to wake other people up trying to get this intro recorded. But hey, we've got to get this up for Rob today. So uh, today's guest is Rob Cutner, writer for Conan, formerly of The Daily Show. Uh, Rob was on our live show last year at Comic-Con. And we wanted to have him back on as his comic book, Shrinkage, uh, has finally released in paperback. So it's an absolutely gorgeous comic book. So I got a, got a chance to flip through it yesterday after recording the episode with Rob. And yeah, it's something that I can guarantee all of you guys are going to love. Uh, the story is about aliens that take over the president's brain and the driving essentially destroy the world. So it's not uh, not that far off from reality right now. <laughs> so, but Rob was absolutely fantastic to sit down with. Uh, it was kind of it was kind of crazy because of course they're uh, taping a bunch of Conan shows out here right now, and Rob had to kind of kind of run from Conan over uh, over to where we were recording, and uh, be able to kind of sit down and talk. So, but it was a lot of fun being able to chat with Rob and catch up with him again. Uh, kind of talked a lot about how he got into writing and late night working with Dennis Miller, then the Daily Show. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun being able to sit down and talk with Rob again, and uh, also learn a little bit about the comic book. If you are here at San Diego Comic Con, Rob will be here signing copies of the book. Um, you can also pick it up throughout the convention as well, so we have all that information up on the website. You can also follow Rob on Twitter at ApocalypseHow, and you'll be able to find out all the details there um, as well. So uh, make sure that you guys are listening to that, and hey, if you are in San Diego today, make sure to come by our live show that we're doing. Uh, Chris Allen from Neon Trees, Todd Masters from Toddland. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun over at the Neil Morgan Auditorium at the San Diego Library. Uh, it's a weird place for us to have a panel, but hey, we're excited to be here. It's a lot of fun. We have fun every year with it. So please, please, please come out and enjoy that. So that episode will be going up in another few days here. Uh, but yeah, please come out, have fun. So of course, if you've got a badge of San Diego Comic Con, it's a totally free show. So make sure you guys come out, see myself, Todd, and Chris while we just kind of hang out and chat. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, speaking of Toddland, if you are here, that is the booth to go to. Every year, Toddland grows bigger and bigger. This year, they incorporated a family guy into the mix. So, and it is absolutely incredible. So, of course, they are best known for their Bob's Burgers booth. And yeah, adding family guy in, it, it was such a, such a good move. So, make sure you guys come check that out. Again, thanks to Rob Cutter for taking the time in between calling agents to us <laughs> to come and sit down. Um, and talk about Shrinkage and some of his writing career. So we had a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, this episode was this episode was a great time. So uh, now I'm gonna get ready and go head off to some panels and try not to get myself sunburned before my own panel. So uh, yeah, a lot, lot of fun. Hope you guys are enjoying San Diego Comic Con. If you're not here, sorry. But hope you're having fun doing whatever you're doing. It's not San Diego Comic Con. Hope you guys enjoy this episode with Rob Cutter. couldn't couldn't get you on the live show again this year it's just like right during the taping so. yeah and they gave me the time so i every year i've tried to get chris hardwick on yeah and i always reach out to his publicists i've briefly mentioned it to him before and I'm like we're gonna make this happen one of these years yeah and every single year our panel is scheduled during 
either so his, to, well, his yeah, probably panel. Well, nine panels going on. Well, it's like literally like the nerdest panel. Yeah. Like somehow we get no scheduled can, during that panel. You have no control over it, right? Yeah, no control. Yeah. And then this year, our panel gets changed. We've always been from one to two. Yeah. It's always been our time slot. Yeah, I was wondering about that because conceivably I could have done that. Maybe, yeah. But, but. Yeah, because that's what we did last year when, yeah, when yeah. you were on. Yeah. And then this year, we get four to five, and I was like, sweet, it's Thursday night. Like, yeah. Chris usually doesn't have a ton of panels at and that point. Put it there. His is from 4.45. Oh, <laughs> I was like, uh, how does that seriously happen? Like, <laughs> I was crazy. like, it, it, not that we necessarily had a shot still, but... But we didn't ask him, how's work? Ooh, awkward. Yeah. Well, I, I actually tweeted to him last night, and I because I've been to At Midnight several times, yeah. and he responded right away and was just like, seriously, thank you so much. Like, oh. like you've been a great support with it. And so I was like, oh, that's nice. I was like, oh, tender, Chris. Thanks. He's, he's really nice if you can get to him. Yeah. All right, we should probably we should probably get rocking. Oh, we're we're oh, going. Oh, oh this, this 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 is it. This is the show. This is the oh show. We, <laughs> what a bait and switch. <laughs> it's 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 one. It's this is like one this is those. like talk radio. Exactly. I just I just Do you know about Kim Trails people. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm really glad that Conan's back. You guys you guys put on a great show every oh, year thanks. there. So and I the process it seems like it's probably a little easier on you guys because a lot of it has some of those pre-taped segments that well you say that but that's because we spend the past month yeah the past month <laughs> yeah yeah it's really what you call a labor of work yeah it's just um like we had we have like two working what they call working dark weeks where we're in the office but they're not doing shows so they're out with crews shooting that stuff and um the monologue writers like writing like a whole bank of jokes ahead of time because unlike topical jokes we can write comic-con jokes ahead of time because yeah. we know what the movies are going to be and and then the big announcements we write fresh Fresh bakery, fresh chips that day. Yeah. <laughs> Is it kind of a relief though to be able to break away from all of the oh political my God, stuff? Yes, for sure. Yeah, we, it's nice to talk about a supervillain who's not actually in the White House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true. I mean, even with the comic that you're here with, with with shrinkage, it, it's like I mean the story being you know aliens that take over the president's brain. Yeah. It's like we aren't far off. It's yeah, just so I, yeah, it's, I started writing it I started writing it before <laughs> before the campaign and then now that now he's president I was like, "Hmm, aliens might might be preferable." <laughs> might be an upgrade. <laughs> the the probing would at least be a little bit easier to take. It yeah. wouldn't. I think I think but it would, it would be the probing would be way too gay for Pence. <laughs> like, None of that. Only only probing in the context of marriage procreation. <laughs> And would he be able to be alone in the room with the aliens? Right, like, right. What gender? Yeah, well, what, on, right. I think the genders of aliens are just binary, and so he would also have a problem with that. Right, that's true. So it would, Mike Pence would it's, just it's, lose it. It's Glock, Mork, and Beakbach, not Glock, Mork, and Streetbach. <laughs> <laughs> so now, I've, I've always been curious, because, I mean, before Conan, I know we kind of talked about this last year, you were at The Daily Show. Mm-hmm. And then you should say previously on Cutner. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know before that you you had I, I know you did some of the Oscar stuff with when you were with a uh, with yeah, the Daily John Show, was which, which which I have to say I was reading the the Daily Show the oral history book, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I get to a part, and then you're in there, and I was like, wait, what what the hell? Like I'd flipped through a few pages, and there was a picture of you at the Oscar dinner. Yeah, with, oh, the, uh, with, the, with the, the fish. Yeah, yeah with the, the fish and the uh, smoke, smoke balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was kind of cool to just stumble across and be like, oh, there, there's Rob. Right. It would not be a podcast in California without a siren. Right, right. So. right. <laughs> it just shows you the kind of gritty real-time reporting that, that you bring. To... So what I've always been curious, what was kind of the first job that you had as a writer that kind of 
started you on the path to get you to the Daily Show and to Conan? So I started out as um, as a writer's assistant on Dennis Miller's HBO show Dennis Miller Live, which is I should say back when he was sort of more libertarian and centrist. <laughs> it wasn't like as right wing Dennis Miller as he is now. Yeah. But I was there while he was kind of shifting over. Like the three seasons I was there, he kind of shifted a bit on foreign and domestic policy. But um, so I started out. My 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 buddy was working there, and he was like my writing partner at the time. And then there was an opening, and he recommended me be an assistant, and. Um, uh, I was able to um, like sort of slip some jokes in under the transom. They let you do that there, and they actually believed in promoting from within, which is very cool and very rare. Um, and I would sometimes like when the room was kind of stuck on something, I would sort of like go an extra ball and like pitch something to Dennis Miller, which is a little bit scary. But yeah. it's like, what this is what, this is this is this is the show. If I don't, you know, this is if this is the thing I want. If I don't do this now, where else am I going to have that chance? So. Um, and I like, you know, I memorized like the Off-White album and, and I'd long been a fan of his. So, um, so I pitched stuff and uh, sometimes it was like, it was, it was, you know, usable and you know, sometimes it wasn't, but he noticed that I was contributing. And if he, if, and Dennis was cool because when we read the jokes, either he, he would say, he'd say, who wrote that? And it was like, that was either like the best or the worst thing. Cause it's like, <laughs> it, it could be like, he's asking cause, he, cause it's horrible and he wants to blacklist you or cause he kind of liked it and he wants to know. And so I got some of both, <laughs> but you know, you know, that's for me, that's all forward motion. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like getting on his radar. So the third year of the show, um, one of the senior writers who actually writes with me on a monologue for Conan now, actually, um, Leah Krinsky left. And so they had an opening, you know, and the staff and the budget and he recommended me to be a writer uh, for the show. So that was my first break. And I was lucky because it was the very last year of the show. He was getting too, probably too conservative for HBO, I think. And they were kind of, parting ways so I got like just as the train was leaving <laughs> I was like the hobo who jumps on holds, you know, my fingernails holding on to the and this is your stop that's right <laughs> Vindel flying in the wind um, and then and then so and did you want to know the whole progression or you just wanted to know something? yeah yeah just kind of, kind of, kind of origin how that, story because, because I feel like I'm at that point now where I know I've picked your brain in the past like what the hell do I do here right. and like how do I how do I move that and so now I'm at that stage where I'm just like well this this is after like five years of, like five years of trying all kinds of different yeah. stuff and I honestly, I wanted to be like a feature or, or you know, a screenplay or, or a TV writer, like a sitcom writer. Was those were my main things, and I just tried this as kind of a third option because my friend was there, and he said, um, at Dennis Miller, he said, you know, you can send in some monologue jokes sometimes, and if we're really stuck, we'll look at him. And so I tried doing that, even though I was really terrible at it, which is it's my main job now. But yeah. back then I was terrible, but I, but I really worked at it, and I didn't sell any, but I sort of got into their good graces, and that's that's part of why they hired me to come in as an assistant and try me out. So, but that's after like trying like all kinds of stuff, like writing workshops and uh, applying for fellowships and trying to get an agent and failing and just networking, which I'm really not really not good at, and writing all kinds of scripts. So, just trying like a little bit of everything, um, and then you never know sort of where the opportunity. But I think if you stick with it and you're talented and you're not an asshole, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a door will open somewhere. It just might not be the one you expected, but this it's been a good one. It's been a good one for me. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's one thing I've started to learn more and more is sometimes those doors open and you're like, oh, I didn't, right. I, I wasn't didn't really see that, that coming. <laughs> so I didn't see myself writing for a site called Robot Butt, but. <laughs> how it, could you not, though? Yeah, how, yeah now I look at it and I'm like, it was, it was meant to be. It was. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so yeah, some of those things, it's been. That makes me laugh every time, every time I see it. It's been interesting. Every time I see it. I should have worn my Robot Butt shirt for one of these one of these days here so they'd hit me up and were like hey you're doing stuff for san diego we've got some ideas and i was like cool what are they no they never responded and i was like all right well i guess because we aren't doing anything but okay right well it's a, it's a giant gaping mob this comic-con is so yeah it's easy to get lost in it 
Yeah, at least like literally. <laughs> yeah, at least Dan Cummins came through though, because we've got a, we, I, I got Dan's shirt and stuff to, to support him. So, right. so I know he's been on Conan a few times. So Dan's yeah. he's a fantastic comic. So, but after after doing Dennis Miller's show, I mean, the Daily Show, you came in at like prime time. Also, Daily I'm not show. at all by design. Like, um, <laughs> I, it wasn't really. It was 2002, and it wasn't really a hot show. It was just getting political yeah. with John Stewart having taken over in 2000, and. Um, and I just needed a job, and a guy I work with at Dennis Miller had been on The Onion with um, some of the executives there. Like, he'd been at Madison on The Onion working together, and he couldn't move to New York, which is where it was. Dennis Miller's in L.A., and he just introduced me to his friend, and then I had to, like, write a bunch of, like, basically sample Daily Show scripts, like, the whole thing. Like, there's a couple rounds of that, and then I met them when they came out uh, for the Emmys and stuff like that. And then I got that job, and I was just going to try it out for six months because my wife stayed in L.A. because she is in the industry, too, so our, her jobs were there. So we were going to be bi-coastal. So I said, okay, I'll rent this tiny, tiny crap hole apartment in New York for six months. We'll see how it goes, but I'll probably be coming back. And then it just sort of took off, and I, it's obviously cause effect. I mean, yeah. you'd have to be a fool not to see that, but yeah. <laughs> connect the dots, people. Um, so, no, it just it, that was just the time where, like, in 2002 when, when people were, like, plugging back into politics and John was finding his voice and the show started winning awards and stuff like that. And I was like, honey, I think I'm going to stay here. This is, like a, this is like a good place to be right now. I would like a few Emmys for the mantle. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, um, I mean, it, but, it was... But it wasn't, like, it wasn't like this hot commodity. It was just like, I just remembered, like, and this was even during the Kilborn years, I remember it was just a well-written show that was just, like, consistently good. Yeah. And it wasn't any big thing, but it was just, like, a, a quality product. And I was like, okay, I could work there. That's something I, I would try for, even though it's in another city. So I did, and then it turned out to be, you know, sort of somehow a good bet despite any planning or foresight. Yeah, and, and it was interesting, too, because, I mean, that time is when you had John finding his own voice and trying to push away from what the Kilborn yes, Daily Show yes. was. And as you know, like, not without some some, some yeah. pain and, and angst and stuff. But but it, even, even with that pain and the growing of the show, I yeah. mean, it became the force that that John left it with and that Trevor's yeah. taken on, even and though sort of they... metastasized into other hosts and stuff. Yeah, too. And, and even though they've... I mean, Trevor and John have a very different approach, I think, to, mm-hmm. to satire. So John still created, I mean, with what he's done with Larry Wilmore and even like yeah. Jordan Klepper getting his show yeah. here. And I mean, it, it's definitely, an, and I love being able to see that voice. And it, after reading that Daily Show book, I was just like, I need to I need to learn more about how The Onion does this because they liked pulling from yeah. everybody from The Onion. And luckily, right as they did that second city, uh, started teaming up with The Onion. Mm-hmm. And so I got to do uh, two months with uh, with Scott Dickers. And I was just mm-hmm. like, I could not have asked for more you know, knowledge from him. And I loved getting feedback from him. Like, that sucked. Do it better. <laughs> and I was like, okay, thank you, yeah, Scott. They're, they're, they're tough. On, they're tough. They're really tough audience. And, and that showed when they were like bosses at The Daily Show, too. It was like, it was not just what you thought would be sort of the, the average hacky joke would not go by them. They would be like... You know, they'd be like, into what are you trying to say? And like, you know, what's the sort of like, are we taking, we're actually taking on it? Like, like, what's our point of view on this? They, they asked really tough questions and they sort of, I think, reframed like how I wrote comedy, I think, to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it, it gets, it gets into your head in a way of yeah. challenging yourself to always be yeah. a better writer. And sometimes I'll go back to that. And there, there were certain words you would even use in critiquing where I was like, to pull out the dictionary to even know what my feedback was because that was too smart. This is confusing. But that, there <laughs> don't was, be so lucky days ago. He's an SAT guy. <laughs> there was one headline though that I pitched to him that I thought was hilarious about a rheumatologist getting invited to talk about hand jobs at the AVN Awards. 
<laughs> and he's like, I looked up what a rheumatologist was, and I still don't get the joke. And I was like, well, the rheumatologist works on hands, but maybe under porn awards. And like, I tried to explain it to him. He's like, yeah, it doesn't fly. And I was like, oh. So funny. So he can use big words, but you can't. Yeah. So. I was like, oh, I hypocrisy. thought it was smart. <laughs> <laughs> it was a smart, dirty joke, which I think are some of the best things yeah. you <laughs> High and low. Yeah, that's... I, I tried to stay away from it because, like, when, I feel like when you go to that blue line yeah. a lot, it's just, it, that's when the writing just gets lazy and sloppy because if you just go for, like, the, here's here's a million dick jokes and right, go exactly. am. It's like I try, to, I try to tag that one here and there and then I run the opposite way and I'm just like, hmm, I'm going to write a joke about farting now. You're not going to make that your hook? I'm the guy who does dirty jokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one guy. <laughs> when I first had attempted stand-up and writing, I did go that route and... I realized how quickly it well, just you know, doesn't it, work. It's a sad thing that it works in stand-up sometimes. Yeah. Or at least some, some, imagine some like, some like tiny, some quantity of it, you know, gets the audience, especially these drunken audiences, I guess. At oh, yeah. Open mics and, you know, at bars and stuff. Which, which open mics have you seen where there's audiences? So <laughs> oh, oh, right, right. I'm sorry. By audiences, I meant the other comics crossing their arms in the back, frowning. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for you to finish. So I'll never forget one open mic that I had done where I went really, I did just a lot of political stuff. Mm-hmm. And there was one comic in the room that I knew was just a politics junkie. Yeah. And so I was like, as long as I make him laugh during this, yeah. I've won. And throughout most of the set, <laughs> it was just tanking. But I kept hearing him laugh in the back. And I was like, that one laugh is all I needed. That's an excellent strategy. That's a really excellent strategy, I think, not just for stand up, but for writing. Like, if you're just sort of aiming at one person, you can get to them. Like, that's yeah. sort of your, your taste barometer. There was always, like, there was, like, some, a few writers at The Daily Show where I was like, I always wanted to make them laugh sort of the most. And I still feel like that on Facebook sometimes, too. Like, there's a couple of people, like, I really like getting a like from them. I don't know what it yeah. is exactly, but it's like, it sort of like keeps you grounded, I think, a little bit. Yeah, if you're trying to get everybody to laugh, you're just going to go crazy. There, I'm not going to lie. There, there's some of them that I'll put out there on Facebook that if I get your approval on it, I'm like, all right, that was a good one. Oh. So I'm like, it made no Rob laugh on, on that one. Right, no pressure <laughs> on. <laughs> well, I mean, what if I put angry emojis from now on? The angry emojis, like, <laughs> that, how dare you, sir? That would make me laugh that much more, I think. But it would everybody else would be cr- like, man, crying. people, people <laughs> are just like pissed at Tim for this joke. Right, right. <laughs> right. It would be like the responses I get. Just turn the crowd on you. <laughs> Angry mob. Yeah. So with, now with Shrinkage, I mean, it's it's come out in paperback now. Mm-hmm. So it was a digital comic that uh, was put out first. How, how did the process go for to get Farago to put this out as paperback? Uh, well, so what happened was, uh, um, so it was always envisioned as an, as an eight-issue ser- limited series. Like, it's a story with an arc. And that was, that was the whole idea of it. Um, and then we started running into money troubles, like it was costing more than they thought it would make to get the issues. And then we did like a second, we did, we, we, we kickstarted it to fund it basically to pay John Lucas, the artist, because, you know, artists have a, a steep page rate yeah. and he's worth it. Um, uh, I didn't see a dime from it. That's <laughs> carrying on the, the proud comic book writers tradition of getting that money from their work. Um, so, so we, we, we crowdsourced two times to have enough money. And then at the very end, we sort of weren't going to be able to finish it. And then we got like sort of like one last windfall that helped us put it over the edge and that was enough to pay for basically like it's these on-demand services where like you can do a limited run for a certain fee and we can do more if we want and the right. cool thing is that um the one we put out has the cover by dean haspiel um uh who's, who's basically a god and then um but we also have covers by paul pope and bob fingerman and oh, nice. we can choose which cover to put out so so um the people who chose that for their premium on the kickstarter can choose which cover they want. This, and oh, this, that's this really company cool. will put it out. Which cover. Yeah, so collect all four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like basically a box of cereal, is what I'm saying. 
Um, so, so yeah, so we had just enough money to um, so sort of do a limited print run, and um, I got like 100, and I'm bringing them here, uh, uh, in part thanks to you and Golden Apple Comics, and I just brought a box of them over to the table today, even though I wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not supposed to be here! Um, uh, and we're going to see what we can sell, and if not, we'll... Um, oh, and so then it's going to go on... Eventually, it's supposed to go on Comixology, which is oh, awesome. kind of full circle, so it'll go back to digital yeah. again. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a fantastic comic. I read it last year before the uh, before oh, we nice. did the panel. But it wasn't finished so. last year, right? No, it wasn't. So, so, so you yeah, were just, I, you were just read... on tenor hooks for a year. Yeah, just like <laughs> you couldn't like you couldn't like take care of yourself. You were just like you know, hold up in your room. What's gonna happen? The, the 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 other project you did that had me on the, on that was uh, was Runaway Brains. So oh yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting for more Runaway Brains. Oh thanks. Well, I don't know if that's gonna come back or not because. Uh, um, I don't, because that was like an audio series that was yeah. like, like, that was like a ton of work. Um, and I was sort of, I was sort of finished with that one, I think. And I feel like it reached completion, but you know, if, if people demanded it, then. So I, I'm starting it now. People demand this. I want, yes, I want right. more. That's right. If you lead a mass movement, then, then I'll do it. <laughs> it. It was so funny because I finally met Weird Al for the first time back in October. Mm-hmm. And having listened to that so many times well, he's a robot. I could <laughs> just hear him as Watson and that was <laughs> yeah that was it I was just like all my life I've listened to Weird Al and now he's just a computer to me right. that is right. that is what is engraved in my brain now <laughs> yeah I've changed your Weird Al yeah you've changed my Weird Al <laughs> so now another guest that, that I had a little while back that I didn't realize how much work you had done with them uh, were the Levinsons oh you so, had them as you had them yeah, as yeah when, when uh, uh, both Stephen and Joel were supposed to come on yeah. um, to talk about boy band Yes, um, and Stephen kind of got tied up. Did I introduce you, or did you find each other? We found each other because I saw you promoting stuff about boy band, and I yeah. started reading up on it, and I was like, "This is amazing!" Oh yeah, and I hit Stephen up because he kept popping up on Facebook as the people you should know, and I was like, yeah. "I'm just gonna hit him oh, up I'm and so see glad, if he I'm wants so to glad do you, this." Because they're like they've been my most frequent collaborators, yeah. like like for for like a decade or something like that. Yeah, and I saw that you, I, you guys have a few albums on iTunes yeah. that are absolutely hilarious. Oh, thanks. So how did you were you were an avid consumer of Cutner Media? You, sh- you should be like. <laughs> It, it's 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 true. So I I go down those wormholes. I'll start reading up on things, and I'm just like, wait, what is this? How did I not discover this? Right. Well, you know, I mean, you you probably have people on where they talk. It's hard to promote stuff, honestly, unless you're a big company. Yeah. Or you have something that's like a franchise, like you know the superhero stuff, or or or, or you have. I mean, I had a lot of celebrities on Runaway Brains, and I still have trouble promoting it. Like, it's still hard to get people to take an interest if you're just doing something as an indie thing. Uh, no, it it really is. I mean, we've had. I mean, we started out the show with Tracy Morgan as right. one of the early wow. guests, wow. and nobody listened to it in the yeah. early early times. Cause it's hard to keep up nowadays because there's so much content coming down yeah. the pike all the time, and the celebrities are in them and stuff. So, um, but you know, but I, but I also think it's like it's just cool to make stuff sometimes. If you can, especially if you can get someone else to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> if you can get someone, or you're not too much in debt, if you can get stuff made and you're it's stuff that represents like what you like. And what you want out in the world, like that's sort of, and it's always going to be there. I mean, I think, like, and you always have it. So, um, and that was like with doing a comic book too. Like, I write a lot of jokes for Conan, and it's great to work with such a genius. And the people I work with, they're great. But you know, on the other hand, it's, it's topical jokes. They sort of fade from view, and you can't even get the jokes. I think after a few weeks, like they, they refer to things that in the past, and it's sort of like just you know disappear like cotton candy. Right. Um, and I don't feel like you know sometimes you feel like you're not leaving anything behind. I mean, you're you're bringing laughter and all that, but. Um, you know, what are you leaving behind? And so, like, I want you want something tangible that, and also something that's just, that's yours, 
you know, I'm writing, I've written for three different great comedians, but in their voice and with their taste and to what they want and what they choose. And this is just like, you know, all the stuff in the rest of my brain <laughs> that I want to get out there. It's just the way I want to do it, you know. So you, you mentioned, you know, you, you spent the time writing in their voice. What do, you, what do you find kind of the hardest thing to be when it comes to having, having your voice as, as a writer, but then having to separate so that you give Conan's voice or you gave John's or Dennis's voice? What do you do to be able to differentiate between First, I go into a hyperbaric chamber. <laughs> I take out all my blood and I replace it with, uh, with antifreeze. Um, and, then, and then I go into the Hall of Faces and I take off their face. And, I, <laughs> and then I slash their throats. Which is Remi- not remind me not to ever have a drink from you. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's too late. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so... You know, I, I don't really know what, what it, how it works. It's one of those mystical creative things. I mean, I think sometimes they just sort of like, what I would analogize it to is like, you do Facebook and Twitter to some extent, like you do kind of a shift, like, you know, some things are the kind of things you know, or maybe maybe you don't, maybe you do the same things. But I think sometimes you, you definitely think of a different audience. You start imagining a different yeah. audience and like, I can be more liberal and slightly more vulgar on Twitter. Exactly. I'm, I'm way more political on Twitter. I don't do politics on Facebook because I have some friends from different strands. Yeah. And I, I kind of just don't want to go there. Like, it's like Twitter. It's like strangers who, you know, like political stuff. So I think it's something about, like, imagining the audience, imagining your space limitations. And um, I think over the years I've sort of, um, you know, when I, was a, when I was a teenager in high school, I used to love mimicking my teachers, like doing impersonations of them. And um, that was just, like, a fun thing for me. So I think it's always been something, like, just sort of like getting into someone else's voice. Like I'm not really a good actor, but I think I can sort of imagine what mm-hmm. someone's cadences sound like. And you know, once you've sort of got Stockholm syndrome from working with Conan or something <laughs> like that, you can sort of like, and even so, I'm st- you still guess every day and sometimes you just guess way off. Like I'm like, this is totally his kind of joke. He's gonna love this, you know, like it's nothing. And then some weird thing that you just kind of put in because it was sort of like a half formed thought, like that's the one he wants to use. So even with the best, the best version of that, it's still guesswork. It's still trying hard to sort of inhabit someone else's voice. I wish I had a, like a, a good way to explain it, but it, it is sort of something that you, like a, a work habit yeah. after many years, and probably it comes from like mocking teachers. So kids, <laughs> disrespect your educators. <laughs> Stay in school, but make it bad for everybody else. <laughs> so now, out of your time with Conan, because I know you came on during the Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. So during during yes, the, I left the Emmy-winning Daily Show to yeah. join the Tonight Show because it seemed like a solid next move. <laughs> Who's going to take it with the Tonight Show? Yeah, it's it's not so like the not... former host is going to want to come back. And... Right, right. <laughs> so, but after... what could possibly go wrong with the Simpsons? <laughs> <laughs> with, with all the time that you know, with the Tonight Show and then into the TBS yeah. show, what has been the greatest lesson you've learned working with Conan? Because he is, I mean, just such a legend of comedy that it seems like there's got to be just these pieces of wisdom that have all been left behind well um you know there's a couple of different levels of things i could say one of them is like ironically is that I, like i was saying about the guessing stuff like he has all these rules he's the most analytical of the people i work for like um dennis would just pick what he liked and what he didn't and it could be just way off the hook but it was if it was dennis's kind of thing he would like it and that was okay and like you know his sort of obscure references yeah the cool thing was that he would like be um he wouldn't need to know. He wouldn't like fact check you on them, because I mean, he just think about it, if he had a show every week, he couldn't come up with all his references himself. He's going to run out. So the writers would come with their own bank of knowledge, and they would just put an obscure Dennis style reference in, and he'd just say, "Is that a thing?" And say, and he'd say, "Yeah." He goes, "All right, good, gold." And we just put it down. So he would just do he would just do his thing. 
Um, John would sort of give you a direction to work with. And then Conan, he just has all these rules about like, well, I don't know if they would still think this is an important story. The audience would get this. I don't know if, um, if we want to get that dark. And he says these things. And then like the next day, literally, he'll like pick something that breaks all those rules. So the takeaway <laughs> is, is don't let that get in your head. Don't let rules get in your head. Like just, just put it out there if you think it's funny. And so, so I've perversely learned that sort of backwards from Conan. I've learned not to do what he tries to teach us to do because it doesn't always work. Um, and then just like, like some, I've learned some like technique, like he's a very traditional monologue as opposed to John's, which is more conversational and Genesis, which was like kind of poetry yeah. <laughs> to some extent. Um, and, uh, I mean, like there's like little tricks, like, um, uh, I'm sure you know, this, like getting the funny word as far as the end of the punchline as you can. So that's the last thing you leave the audience with or, or making sure like the information that's really critical to the, to like the funny part of the joke in the news part, like that's that you've, you've taken away all the distracting elements except that. Or Conan will be like, don't use too many numbers because people start trying to do math and then it's confusing. <laughs> so anytime you can, no, you keep trying to keep it to one or two numbers in the whole joke because people start, you know, linking numbers together and trying to think about it. So all kinds of stuff that I think it really boils down to clarity. Like I think he's really helped us find the clean line to the joke, I think. So, so I had heard Dion Cole when he had started for the show, he didn't know what to do as a writer because he'd just come from stand-up yeah and, and he had his own very different style so, so how, how, how do you how does that work when a new writer kind of joins the writer's room that doesn't come you know from you know a writing background well, well the thing is that, that Dion joined the sketch side and that's kind of okay. the sketch team and a monologue team so on the monologue team so Dion, if he joined our team he would have had to turn in like a packet of monologue jokes that were like in our sort of in Conan's style or like comparable and like different than everybody else's and like of a higher level. Um, and uh, so that would be like a more clear distinction of like like what his job is. But on the sketch side, they want people with all kinds of right brain stuff crazy going on in their heads. So I think Conan saw Dion do his stand up and he did these bits where like if a joke didn't work, he'd write it down in his failed joke notebook like during, <laughs> during the act. I think Conan just thought that was a very kind of funny deconstructive approach to stand up. Um, and, uh, and also, um, I think, you know, also having like the perspective of an yeah. American comic, I think bringing some more points of view into the show. So in the sketch people are the ones who like come up with these crazy loony ideas that I think the show is kind of known for. Um, so they can really come from anywhere. And as to like, I don't think they can really necessarily go along because they're always just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what will stick. And you never know. If we have to guess about a monologue like, like joke. Like Aquaman spawning. In yes, a... <laughs> Aquaman spawning, right, exactly. Or Henri Dubachet, you've probably heard of, I think he's yeah. one of the looniest of them. And he pitched, he said, he told me last night, he he, he was there for a couple months and he didn't feel like he knew what he was doing or what he was doing. But then um, uh, he pitched this thing for Thanksgiving where he said, he said, are you, it's basically an ad, he says, are you a crazy person who thinks the gravy boat is an actual boat? <laughs> Introducing the gravy boat lighthouse to keep your gravy boat from crashing into the shore. And like you hear that and you think like that is just the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But like at our show, you know, if that makes everybody laugh, you get to take a swing at that. And you yeah. know, it might not work, it might fail, and then Conan will just like be the Emperor Caesar and just put his thumb down and it gets executed with no <laughs> remorse. But he he let him go to town with that. Um and he constructed like a whole world about that. And I got to I got to be in one of the three crazy people wearing pajamas in that. As well, uh, who just live together and do crazy stuff like that, and then it, it got a sequel like later on, the, the mistletoe like missile defender or something like that, that shoots down mistletoe or something like that. <laughs> it's all based on a pun, but it, like he spun it into like this whole world with its own like internal logic. So you can imagine like like there's not really any kind of right way to do that 
I can say that. And so, like, in a way, like, pitching ideas that are wrong is kind of part of the process. Yeah. It's just, like, which is the right wrong? <laughs> which is the right kind of wrong for now? Yeah, and I, I can't remember which one of the writers I'd heard say that, that, that one day they'd come onto the set uh, for rehearsal, and Conan looked at a sketch that was getting set up and was like, well, can't wait to cut that one. Yeah, right. And then it ended up in the show. <laughs> right. Well, that's the whole, like, yeah, that's the whole, like, bullying quality to that. Like, whole sadomasochistic yeah. quality to it as well. Like, he wants you to go out on a limb, and if you go, like, one inch too far, he'll, like, cut the branch. But if it's, like, the right part of the limb, then, then you're cold. So it's, like, the risk is part of the process, if it makes sense. Yeah. So still, still my all-time favorite favorite sketch i think it was when dimitri did when he was with the show yeah and i still to this day show it to people was the rub light oh yeah yeah it is single-handedly the dumbest thing i've ever watched right. yet the greatest thing i have ever watched I, th I think i think what we go for is like smart people doing dumb jokes like yeah. it's kind of like your smart porn joke i think to some extent yeah. like like the dumbest ideas but done with like the most like brainy approach nerdy approach to them yeah and if you can if you can find that it's hard to find that sometimes but i think that's like what we excel in i think yeah, that, that's the one thing I always worry about is if I try to get too heady on a joke. Or yeah. I'm just like, am I trying to be too smart on this? And I'll show it to some of my friends before I'll post anything. And I'm just like, does this make sense to you? And then if I have to explain it to them, I'm like, yeah, I can't. Yeah, that. well, that, that's, you know, we do that, you know, every day. Like yeah. Sometimes we, we compare jokes with each other and say, does this work? Am I doing this wrong? You know, that sort of thing. I mean, you have to get feedback, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, and that's, luckily I had learned, especially like during my time with Second City, quickly was just don't be precious with anything. Be yeah. able to take the feedback and just, just that's roll a, That's it. like <laughs> one of the biggest lessons of all. Like the, you know, the kill your darlings yeah. uh, thing is that you have to, it's, you have to believe that there's always going to be another idea or another joke. Because yeah. if you don't, then like you can just choke up and get writer's block. But if you're willing to believe that, it makes you really strong and invincible, I think. And then you can be bold about, I think Joss Whedon said something about like, he cuts his favorite parts out of a script, and if like they really were important, they'll sort of find their way back in. But that's like that's even more ballsy, I think, especially if you're Joss Whedon, like to be willing to do that, like because he's pretty, you know, he's got good cred. So you know, if he likes something, you think it's probably gonna be pretty good. But if he's willing to do that, like that's kind of amazing to me. Hey, he's only been on the Justice League post production for like what a month, and already the new trailer looks better than the first ones. So. <laughs> <laughs> I will trust whatever Joss says. Yeah. <laughs> So I know you've got to get back over to the show and stuff as yeah. you guys are kind of taking a break uh, while the show had started. Um, so now you're going to be signing uh, copies of Shrinkage on uh, on Friday. Mm -hmm. So yeah, in six to seven. Yeah, this is going up in the morning. So tomorrow. Okay. Yes. <laughs> wow. We are traveling through time. Yeah. <laughs> we are in your audio TARDIS. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's uh, Friday the 21st uh, from 6 to 7 at booth 1806, which is Golden Apple Comics. It's right near DC's uh, booth, so the, and it's pretty close to the door, so you can bolt. If you're if, if the, um, the, the panels terrify you, you can run screaming <laughs> into the San Diego. You can get hit by a, a cable car on your way out. Um, and but, but it's also, I want to point out, it's also on sale now. I have some people subbing in for me, and it's at the table, so... If you can't make it to the signing or, or you don't you know don't want to remember, write one more thing down to go to with your other 26 things, you can just walk by and they have a whole pile of them anytime. And there's a special Comic-Con discount. It's 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 sells for 15, but Comic-Con it's 12. So Excellent. So, and where can everybody find you on social media? Um, I'm going to be tweeting about it at at, um, at Apocalypse How, which um, is also the name of another one of my books which you can pick up as well. But um, it's the uh, it's the feel, the only feel good guide to the apocalypse. Um, about why it's going to be better for everybody. Um, so at Apocalypse How, I'll be I'll be posting about that so much that you'll kind of hate me, and um, 
And they don't hate me yet, and I no. post nonstop, and so, so you're good. <laughs> it's not it's not really sold online right now, but depending on how many copies we have, we may you know put it online with Golden Apple or somewhere else like that, or and then eventually it's going to be on Comicsology now. I'll let you know if you want to put an update in or, you know, breaking yeah. news. <laughs> yeah, abso- absolutely. So we'll, we'll keep great. everybody updated. She get it yeah. in over at Meltdown. Um, so I should do that. Those, those, are, so, those are cool people. Yeah, that's, that's but, right. But now that Golden Apple helped me, I don't know if that's like, oh, yeah, like, that. like once you're a jet. <laughs> <laughs> once you're this kind of geek, it's like, the you know, the warriors starting, starring all geeks, you know, like. Just, just get them, get them to start fighting across the aisle. It could be the Comic Con duel, right? And then they have to stop and like take an admin healer. Day, you know? <laughs> it'll, it'll get the real violence like we got a few years ago with the pencil stabbing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Rob, it's always good to catch up with you. I'm glad that we could, we could find the time here in between shows for you. And I look forward to seeing these shows. We'll be at Fridays with the, the cast of Game of Thrones. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to see. We got some good shows, and we have some really cool videos and stuff, and and hopefully some funny monologue jokes as well. So do, do, do we get to see Conan naked again this year? <laughs> well, I mean, you can always imagine. That's what fan fiction's for, buddy. <laughs> no one's supposed to know about the fan fiction. No one's supposed to know about that. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, this is this is always a pleasure, and thanks thanks for squeezing me into your busy schedule. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see you soon. All right, take care.